Our good word today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Now, Satan attacks our faith, and when he can attack our faith and ruin that, it will ruin our hope and our love. You know, faith, hope, and love go together. You can't separate these. Now abide faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. But the three of them go together. When you love somebody, you trust him. And when you trust someone, you have great hope for him. The reason a husband and a wife love each other and have a happy time together obeying the word of God is because this love produces faith. And love and faith produce hope. They always have something to look forward to. Now, this is true in the Christian life. We should trust our Heavenly Father. And because we love Him, we have no problem trusting Him. I have no problem trusting someone I love, because I know that someone who loves me is not going to harm me. I've mentioned before, perhaps, in these studies, my good friend Dr. R.T. Ketchum, one of the greatest Bible preachers, I think, who ever lived, has a saying that has been a great blessing to many of us. He says, Your Heavenly Father loves you too much to harm you, and he is too wise to make a mistake. That's a good statement. I like that. Your heavenly Father loves you too much to harm you, and he is too wise to make a mistake. Now, the devil wants us to believe we can't trust the Lord. He attacks our faith. And beginning today, and perhaps for the next two or three studies, I want to talk with you on how Satan attacks our faith. If he can undermine your faith in God's word, he'll ruin your life. I've had people come to me and say, Preacher, I've tried to obey the Lord and things have fallen apart. They aren't going the way they ought to go. And I say, well, how do you know they're not going the way they ought to go? Your father plans your life. Many times my own children say, well, Daddy, you don't know what you're doing, but I know what I'm doing. They just have to trust me. Now, I may be speaking to some Christian right now, and things are going hard for you. Maybe you have physical affliction. Maybe there are family problems. Perhaps there, there are difficulties on the job or in your church, and you're wondering what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Obey the Word of God, trust the promises of God, and let God do the rest. Living by faith means obeying God's commandments and trusting God's promises in spite of of circumstances, and in spite of feelings. Now, people who go by feelings and circumstances look for shortcuts. They don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, or they don't want to have to pay the price. Shortcuts are always long cuts. There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. A friend of mine has a little slogan underneath the glass on his desk in his office, and the slogan says, Faith is living without scheming. That's tremendous. Faith is living without scheming. You know, when the Word of God tells us to do something, we should do it. We don't have to scheme about it. I think in churches there's far too much scheming because people don't live by faith and just have an open heart to the Word of God. There has to be politics and scheming and second-guessing and pacifying. I feel so sorry for nominating committees because they have a, a thankless job trying to get people to change jobs. And every once in a while, somebody gets embedded in a ministry, in a church, and you can't move them. They aren't doing a good job, but they're a fixture. They've been there for years. 
Instead of people just openly and lovingly saying, look, we've got to make some changes, they scheme and they plot and they plan. That's not faith. God can't bless a thing like that. Where there's faith, there's openness. Where there's faith, there's honesty and sincerity. Now, the devil is the liar. The devil believes in duplicity, not in simplicity. The devil's the two-timer. The devil's the masquerader. He's the pretender. Christians don't live like this. Jesus said, in secret have I done nothing. That's a good way for Christians to live. I don't want to be a part of anything that's secret. I want my life to be an open book. Somebody came to Charles Spurgeon one day and said, we would like to write your biography. He said, you may write my life in the clouds. I have nothing to hide. That's a great way to live. Now, Satan attacks your faith because he knows if he can undermine your faith, he's going to win the battle. Interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, Satan is seen at work only four times. I want to repeat that now. Satan is throughout the entire Bible, no question about that. But in the Old Testament, you're going to find four particular scenes where Satan is at work. Now, perhaps you want to make a list of these and study them. I don't know. The first is Genesis chapter 3, where Satan came to tempt Eve. The next is Job chapters 1 and 2, where he came to tempt Job. Then in 1 Chronicles 21, he tempted David. And in Zechariah chapter 3, we find him dealing with Joshua, the high priest. Let me repeat these. You may want to read them and study them in your leisure. In Genesis chapter 3, he attacks Eve. In Job 1 and 2, Job. In 1 Chronicles 21, David. And in Zechariah chapter 3, it takes place up in heaven, a vision up in heaven. Satan attacks Joshua, the high priest of the nation of Israel. Now, it's rather interesting that in each of these cases, Satan attacks a different part of their lives. I'll be repeating this over and over again because I want this to be clear to you. Far too many Christians do not understand how Satan works. And because they don't understand how Satan works, they don't know how to fight him. Satan attacks the mind, Satan attacks the body, and Satan attacks the will, and Satan attacks the heart. Satan attacked Eve's mind and Satan attacked Job's body, and Satan attacked David's will, and Satan attacked Joshua's heart. I'll be explaining these week by week as we have our lessons. I want to begin now in Genesis chapter 3. So turn in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 3. This is a very familiar passage because this is where we have the fall of man. But I want you to notice the way the serpent works. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, of course this is Satan using the serpent, Yea, hath God said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And here we have, of course, the fall of man. Now, where did Satan go to work? Remember now, Eve and Adam have not sinned. There's nothing in them that is sinful. They're in a perfect surrounding. They have been prohibited by God from 
uh, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what was Satan's target? His target was Eve's mind. Keep your place in Genesis chapter 3 and turn to 2 Corinthians. You see, the, the New Testament helps to explain the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 11, 3. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, or the single-heartedness that is in Christ. He attacked the mind. Now, what did he do to her mind? Well, he tried to get her mind confused so that she would not believe the word of God. Now, Satan does this today. He likes to attack our minds. The way you think is the way you live. He wanted to make her ignorant of God's will by turning her away from God's word. Now, friend of mine, I don't know how you discover God's will for your life, but I discover God's will through God's word. I discover as I obey the word of God, as I do what God tells me to do, and as I don't do what God tells me not to do, he guides my life. And Satan tries to get Christians to be ignorant of the word of God. Now, please notice what he does. First of all, he does not come in his true nature. Satan didn't come to Eve as the horrible rebel against God that he is. He used the masquerade of the serpent. He always comes under the guise of something else. For example, when he wanted to tempt the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, he used Peter. When he tried to get the early church into trouble in Acts chapter 5, he used Ananias and Sapphira. Satan can use a husband, a wife, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher. He can use the lips, the mind of a Christian to lead somebody else astray. His purpose is to get us to turn away from the word of God and therefore not know the will of God. Now, let's notice how he does this. In verse 1 of Genesis 3, first he questions God's word. Yea, hath God said... Now, this is what the devil's doing today. We have seminaries where professors get up and say, well, does the Bible really say that? And we have some of these young preachers coming out of our seminaries who think it's smart to question the Bible. I'm so, I feel sorry for them. I don't know what they have to preach if they question the Bible. Satan begins with a question mark. Yea, hath God said. He questions God's word. And then he denies God's word. He says, oh, ye shall not surely die. And then he substitutes his own lie. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods. You'll remember that one of Satan's goals was to be as God. Isaiah chapter 14, I will be like the Most High. And Satan comes to man and he does three things with the Bible. Number one, he questions the Bible. Number two, he denies the Bible. And then number three, he substitutes his own lie. Now, you watch out for those people who question God's Word. These books that are being published by our denominational publishers these days, rethinking everything, you know, rethinking salvation and rethinking conversion and rethinking the rapture and so forth. Our job is not to judge the Bible. Our job is to let the Bible judge us. I'm a preacher of the Word. I've spent much of my life studying and teaching and preaching the Bible. And my job is not to sit down and say, well, what's right in the Bible and what's wrong in the Bible? My job is to let the Word of God judge me. And as it judges me, I am able to take the Word of God and help other people benefit from it. These commentaries that are out these days, these modernistic commentaries, 
it sickens me to read them. They take the word of God and they say, now Moses didn't say this, and Jonah didn't do that, and Jesus didn't mean this, and before you're through, you have no Bible left. Now Satan comes and he questions God's word. And if you'll start listening to his questions, I guarantee you'll have no faith left. You know, the great G. Campbell Morgan, one of my favorite Bible teachers, tells in his life how that at one time, early in his ministry, he began to have doubts about the Bible. This was back in Great Britain during that era when atheistic halls were being opened, free thinking, philosophy was rampant, and people were denying the Bible. And he read all these books, Can We Know God? and Can We Understand the Bible? and Is the Bible is God's Word? And he became thoroughly confused and he lost his power as a preacher. He tells it this way, he said, One day... I took all of the books that I had read and put them into a cabinet, and I locked the door. He said, I can still hear the click of that lock. I went down the street to a bookstore, and I bought a new Bible. I got on my knees before God and said, Oh, God, if this is your word, you will reveal it to me. And he said, I began to read only the Bible. And he said, The Bible found me. And he spent the rest of his life teaching as one of the greatest expositors of the word that history has ever known. I recommend to you not books about the Bible, although these are good for us. I recommend that you just read the Bible and use these other books to help you study the Bible. But judge the books by the Bible, not the Bible by the books. Because the Word of God is true. And Satan comes along and tries to question the Word of God. And once he has questioned the Word, then he denies the Word. And then he substitutes his own lie, and we get into trouble. Our good word today is still in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, where Paul writes, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Now, we've been noticing the fact that the thing that stabilizes a Christian is his faith. The Christian life is built on faith, hope, and love. And when you love someone, you have no problem trusting them. And where there is love and trust, there is always a bright and hopeful future. Now, Paul is telling us here that Satan attacks our faith. And uh, we've been noticing in the Word of God the illustrations of Satan's attack on faith. I mentioned in our last lesson that four times in the Old Testament you find Satan at work. Now, he's at work all over the Old Testament. Make no question about that. But there are four particular episodes in the Old Testament where you see Satan definitely at work. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time looking at these because we need to know what Satan's strategy is and how we can fight him. It takes two things to win a war. You have to have an intelligence corps that tells you what the enemy is doing, and you have to have artillery to answer what the enemy is doing. And so it is in our Christian warfare. Many, many Christians have no idea how the devil works. Now, the first of these illustrations of Satan's working is in Genesis chapter 3, and we were there in our last lesson when the hands of the clock caught up with us. In Genesis 3, Satan comes under the guise of the serpent, He is a masquerader. He does not appear under his true guise, under his true personality. He always comes as a liar. And he came to the woman in the garden, and in verse 1 of Genesis 3, he questioned the word, Yea, hath God said. 
And then in verse 4, denies the word. In verse 4, he denies the word, ye shall not surely die. And then finally, he substitutes his own lie in verse 5. For, the, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. Now keep these three steps in mind. This is the way Satan attacks your faith and mine. First, he questions the word, yea, hath God said. Then he denies the word. If, you could, if he can get you to question the word, then he'll deny the word. No, God didn't say that. And then he'll substitute his own lie, and when you start believing the devil's lies, then your faith has been eroded. Now, notice how Eve responds to this. In verse 1 of Genesis 3, Satan questions the word, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Would you notice, please, what Eve does to God's word? Now, back in verse 17 and verse 16 of chapter 2 of Genesis, we have God's exact word. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, look at what Eve does. In verse 2 of chapter 3, Eve omits part of God's word. We may eat of the fruit, but back in verse 16 of chapter 2, God said, Thou mayest freely eat. And so she took away from the word of God. Then, in verse 3 of chapter 3, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. But God didn't say anything about touching it. At least it's not recorded here. So she took away from the word of God by dropping the word freely. She added to the word of God by adding, neither shall ye touch it. And then she changed the word of God, lest ye die. God did not say, lest ye die. In verse 17 of chapter 2, God said, thou shalt surely die. Now this is what the devil does to the Bible. The only foundation you have for your faith is the word of God. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your trust in his excellent word. Now, I don't know what you're building your faith on, building your, your Christian life on. If you're building it on the church, then you're in trouble. Or if you're building it on your husband or your wife or the preacher or the Sunday school teacher... I visited a man in the hospital recently. I talked to him quite by accident, although I believe it was by the Lord's appointment. And he mentioned the name of the church he used to go to. And I said, well, why don't you go there anymore? Well, he said, Brother so-and-so was the pastor, and he's not there anymore. And since he's gone, I don't want to go back. I feel sorry for Christians who build their lives on the preacher. Now, a friend of mine, you ought to love your pastor and pray for him and appreciate his ministry. But you know, the Word of God makes it very clear that the job of the pastor is not to get you to build your life on him. The job of the pastor is to get you to build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the sooner a person learns this, the better off he'll be. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, it says this, Remember them which have the rule over you. This is our spiritual leaders now who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. 
considering the end of their conversation, the end of their behavior, the purpose of their ministry, and we have a period there in our Bible, I think there ought to be a comma there or a dash. What is the purpose of our ministry? Verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, pastors change. Uh, The church I'm pastoring right now, I've been here eight years. My predecessor was here 35 years. And I don't know where I'll be next week. The Lord may call me home. I have no idea. But you can't build your life on any human being. Your faith must not rest in man. Your faith must rest in the holy word of the living God. Now, Satan knows that the word of God is important to your faith. The Christian who spends time every day in the word of God, the Christian who studies it, who memorizes portions of the Word of God, who learns it, is that Christian who has faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And faith doesn't come through simply praying. D.L. Moody, I believe, used to say, I used to pray for faith, but now I pray for faith and open my Bible. Because faith comes from the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of faith. Satan knows this, and Satan tries to get you away from your Bible. Now, remember how he does it. First, he questions the word, yea, hath God said. Then he denies the word, ye shall not surely die. And then he substitutes his own lie. Now, every person who hears the word of God can grow in faith by receiving God's word. But please don't do to the Bible what Eve did. First, she took away from it. She left off the word freely, and then she added to it, she added the phrase, neither shall ye touch it, and then she changed it from ye shall surely die to lest ye die. Now, when you start tampering with the Bible, you have no faith left. I'm sure you heard the story about the young preacher who just came out of seminary, and for some reason or other, some of these young preachers who have just recently been graduated from school know everything. And this fellow did not believe that Moses wrote Genesis. He didn't believe in the miracles of the Old Testament or the New Testament. He didn't really believe that Jonah was a real person. And he'd get into the pulpit and say this. And the dear people in the church would sit and listen. I feel sorry for people who have to listen to their pastor get up and be a spokesman for the devil and undermine the word of God. If I'm speaking to somebody right now who is supporting a church that undermines the word of God, you'd better ask the Lord what he wants you to do. You get yourself in a church that preaches and teaches the word of God in honesty. Well, one day one of the dear ladies of the church was sick, and so the pastor thought he'd better go to see her, and he did. And after they'd had a short conversation, he said, well, let me read you something from your Bible. And so she went and got her Bible and gave it to him, and page after page had been torn out. The book of Jonah was missing. The record of the resurrection of Christ was missing. The miracles were missing. Pages were cut out. And the pastor said, why have you cut your Bible to pieces? Well, she said, you'd get up in the pulpit and say that this wasn't true and that wasn't true, and I didn't want to read something that wasn't true, so I cut it out. Well, there wasn't much Bible left. Now, listen, friends, unfortunately in our colleges, yes, even some of our denominational schools of almost every denomination, In our seminaries, in schools that used to be true to the word of God, we have people saying, yea, hath God said? Can we really believe God made the heavens and the earth? Can we really believe that Adam and Eve were real people? Aren't they just stories in the Bible? Did Jesus really come out of the grave alive? Was he really born of the virgin? 
and they major in question marks. They take away from the word, they add to the word, and they twist the word. Now, Satan tries to ruin your Christian life by attacking your mind, as he did with Eve, remember 2 Corinthians 11.3, attacking your mind to make you ignorant of God's word. Dear Christian friend, you can't afford to be ignorant of God's word. I've had people say, well, Pastor, I love to read the Psalms and I love to read the Gospels. You'd better read your whole Bible. In Acts chapter 20, Paul said to the Ephesian pastors that he had not shunned to declare unto them all the counsel of God. I thank God that I pastor a church that wants the whole Bible. In our Sunday school, in our Bible school, we go through the whole Bible every seven years, book by book. And I thank God that we are forced to study every chapter in the New Testament, except Mark and Luke. We study Matthew, Mark, and Luke together. But John through Revelation, every book, every chapter. And in the Old Testament, the most important chapters back there, the the accounts that are the most important for our learning, we study the whole Bible and every book of the Bible. And this way you get a balanced diet. Now, if you've been narrowing your reading down to the Psalms and the Gospel of John and a few other chapters, shame on you. You start reading completely through the New Testament. That's the place to begin. Maybe you want to do this. Start in Genesis 1, Psalm 1, and Matthew 1. And on alternate days, read alternate chapters so that one day you'll read Genesis 1, then Psalm 1, and then Matthew 1. And before you know it, you will have read through the Word of God. Actually, if a person just sat down to read through the New Testament, it wouldn't really take as long as it would for some novels or some big magazines. And yet some people read an entire magazine through a month. The whole Word of God. Now, what is our weapon when Satan comes with his lies? Yea, hath God said, uh, ye shall not surely die. What, what is our weapon? Our weapon is the inspired Word of God. In Hebrews 4.12, the writer says, all that the word of God is, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You'll recall in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan came to tempt the last Adam, Jesus. Jesus was there in the wilderness, and Satan came along and said, If you are God's son, there he is questioning God's word. Because God had just said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If you are God's son. Now, whenever Satan attacked Jesus, our Lord always used the word of God. Three times he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Turn these stones into bread. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jump down from this turret of the temple. It is written, it is written. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ knew that the only way to conquer Satan's lies is to believe and use God's truth. And friend of mine, the more you know of the Word of God, the easier it's going to be for the Holy Spirit to give you victory. When the Word of God is gone, the Spirit cannot give victory. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God. And therefore, I challenge you today to spend time every day in the Word of God. Read your Bible school lessons. Study the Word of God. Meditate in it every day because it's the Word of God that gives us victory over Satan when he comes to attack our faith. Now, in the remaining lessons, we're going to look at the other examples. Meanwhile, spend time in the Word of God. The program is What's the Good Word? This is Pastor Warren Wearsby at the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. I trust that this study has been a help and a blessing to you.